thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. Um, I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Uh, Ashley and I both get the Wholesome Box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. Uh, so it's, you know, completely consistent with, you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families and express box. If you're really short on time, uh, as well as a vegan box too. Now, we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try Dinner Twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is, but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Movement Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show. Hi there, wonderful listeners. You're listening to Wellnessman Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And thanks again for joining us. We absolutely love having you uh, on board with us each week. We're really excited when we meet uh, some of our wonderful listeners at events too. We just recently had the Gut Summit here in Perth and we had some really, really cool ladies come up and say, oh, hi, you know, I'm so-and-so and I listen to your podcast and I love the stuff you're doing. And it's um, it's super awesome to see your faces when we often will see names come across in comments and things like that. So thank you so much for coming up and introducing yourselves and saying hi because we love meeting you. Uh, it's always really nice. And we sit behind the microphone here and sometimes it's a bit, you know, sterile. We're just sitting in our homes, in our offices, and we're not seeing faces. We look at each other on the screen and uh, it's really lovely <laughs> to meet you. So thank you for uh, for saying hi to us. Well, this one's a good one this week. Um, we're going to, I guess, dive into probably one of the greatest frustrations of pretty much every woman I have ever met, um, which is about weight, weight loss, you know, body set point, like, you know, what our ideal body weight is our body image it's kind of all packaged into one so let's see if this scenario sounds familiar to you you have a great plan of action you set out you want to lose some weight you're eating healthily you're exercising one of two things starts happening you do really really well and then all of a sudden you plateau or your weight just doesn't seem to budget all or you do really, really well, you reach all your goals and within the next six to 12 to 24 months, all that weight comes back again. And how 
jolly frustrating is that? Because uh, I know myself, it's happened to me. Andrew will nod her head and say, yes, I hear you. That's the same scenario. And we have got some rock solid science to explain why that's happening and what you can do to overcome that challenge of, I guess, body change. And ladies, we've already done an episode on that metabolic set point. So if you listen to that, that will kind of pre-frame frame you on the stuff that we're going to talk about today. But what we really want to focus on is why that fad dieting and really restricting your caloric intake is detrimental to your system and can actually screw you up as well. So ladies, we need to get real today. We need to like, you know, if you're doing this yo-yo dieting, if you're doing fat, fat, doing, you know, like nutritional starvation um, or just, you know, shakes or, you know, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to, uh, you know, name and shame certain, certain brands or multi-level marketing schemes right now. But this is not the way, you know, this is not a healthy body make, but there's also really sound science as to why depriving yourself of so much is so detrimental to your system. Yes. And I think the the long story short of all of it is a diet is a form of stress. Okay. And we know stress has many biochemical implications within the body. And of course, the body is so, so intelligent and it wants to protect itself from stress. So uh, this is where we talk about plateaus and things like that. And the other thing we're going to dive into today, if you've never heard of it before, is a concept called intuitive eating. And uh, I think it's an amazing thing to discuss because it's really challenging uh, to be told to eat in intuitively when you're so pre-programmed with the concept of dieting restriction and you know very strict um, eating programs so we're going to sort of I guess contrast the two concepts of what's a diet you know versus intuitive eating and why diets don't work Um, I look I guess from my perspective I know diets don't work, but we keep getting we Mm -hmm. keep doing them and uh, you know it depends on personality type a lot but of course it for me personally, it's always been a concern that when I diet, it only lasts a certain period of time for as long as I'm focused on that. And then I go off that diet. And, you know, again, you come back to this set weight point within a period of time, which can be fine because sometimes it's only a short term goal you have. And, you know, a few kilos just makes you feel that much better. Um, but this is really about healing our, I guess, our feelings around food and our feelings around body image. Um, and, you know, modern media has a lot to answer for when it comes to why a woman, you know, judges her self-worth based on her appearance. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. I was like mid sip of a cup of my green, green <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, Ash, this is day three off of coffee for me. Um, oh, well done. So, yeah. Um, I'm doing well. Thank you. After the gut summit, I need to give my a little adrenals some, some support. So coming off coffee was probably a good, good idea for me. I am trading it up with a bit of jasmine green tea though, um, but it's metabolized completely differently. So it's, so it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, but let's talk about why uh, yo-yo diets, why the stress system is so detrimental. And there's lots of different um, physiological responses that happen as to why this is not an effective long-term strategy. And man, I've seen so many patients who come in and they're on, you know, one yo-yo diet or one fad diet to the next, and they might drop, you know, sometimes it might be a whole bunch of weight very quickly. And, but then slowly but surely they'll pack it all back on just as quickly. And if not more so, so, and ultimately it just leads to inevitable weight gain. 
yeah. which I think is just, it, it's really screwing up your whole metabolic system, but your mindset as well. Um, so Ashley talks to you the stress signaling that goes on. So when you're really restricting, when you're really stressing your body in that sense as well, adrenaline and cortisol. Now we know that you're fat when you've got elevated cortisol. It's just simply, it just does not happen. Um, when we have fat that's exercise induced, but not when it comes from the other pathways and other mechanisms. There's also um, other hormonal pathways that it messes with as well, including our thyroid gland. So when we are in that kind of starvation mode or when we really do drop our calories, it increases uh, something called reverse T3. And anyone who's pretty savvy with your thyroid, you'll know that when reverse T3 increases, it suppresses your T3 production and essentially it shuts down or slows down your thyroid. And this is a direct stress response. And often, you know, that trigger can be from caloric intake. This can also happen uh, particularly for women if they're in ketosis for too long um, and a whole bunch of other things as well. Um, and and that's just, that- yeah, that's just one part of the problem, isn't it? Because there's so many different reasons why diets don't work. Um, you know, I can, top of my head, can think of at least six, you know, just from a biochemical, biological framework. Um, when we talk about, you know, the parts of the brain that are involved in how we feel and experience food, so the satiation parts of the brain, because dieting essentially <laughs> yeah. trains your brain, um, making it harder to resist food. So it's a survival mechanism. The very thing you're trying to restrict is the very thing you start to crave. Like how often have you noticed that? Quit this, quit that, quit this. And then all you do everywhere you go is see those foods, smell those foods, your brain starts thinking about those foods, you're salivating over those foods, and you're using immense amounts of willpower to try not to cave into this craving. I can tell you this now, ladies, it is not weakness. You are not weak. You aren't failing. You are not a failure because you have succumbed to those cravings. Quite simply, the brain knows that when we reduce those calories, um, we are potentially heading towards a starvation survival mechanism. So we yeah. We have yeah, to we go, okay, on prote- food, yeah, right? protect, protect. What am I going to do? No, no, no. Grab the calories now in case they don't come back later. And it activates our famine gene pathways. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it actually switches on through that epigenetic expression. It switches on those genes that make us think that we're in famine. So this is when you see maybe um, really skinny, slim mothers, maybe in grandmother's generation and who impossibly thin. Um, when maybe oh, I'm trying to think of one of the, um, these women were impossibly thin and those were that time. And so our mothers or our grandmother's generation were for that. So when they were pregnant, all of their famine genes were activated and the flow effect for that was actually not necessarily affecting them, but it was affecting their future generations. And that's what we've seen in lots of famine studies as well. Um, Ash, do you remember how we were talking about the Dutch famine study? Yeah, absolutely. And was that fascinating? So, ladies, um, you can switch back to the metabolic set point episode to understand that more depth. But it essentially, long story short, is that the Dutch famine study showed that through wartime there was a severe in critical shortage of food, mm-hmm. um, protective elements in play within the body. Women conceived in those 
I guess, under that stressful environment, which is a lack of food, you know, the body perceives stress. So the baby's ability to handle it, like its insulin regulation system is completely different. So then the baby's born into a world that's post-war, uh, more abundance of food and availability, and suddenly now we've got obesity generation. So we've got <laughs> children that are designed for famine who suddenly now have food abundance, but their genetics are switched on in a way that uh, is trained for famine, so to speak. So And then they pass those genes on. So we look at sort of a second generational effect, which is, you know, insulin response and insulin handling that is very different to the maternal grandparent of the generation two beforehand. So I think that in itself should say everything. Like we are geared according to our environment. Our environment changes. We change our genes accordingly. How Mm -hmm. clever is that? Now, the time that you decide to diet is what you are changing is your environment. So your genes start to play around to engage the very mechanisms and systems to survive. And whether you like it or not, it is really, really hard to beat. So what it does as well, it totally messes up with our hunger cues. And there's also evidence to show that the hormones in play also make food taste better. So you can eat crappier food, think it tastes better and want to eat more of it. And it's like, damn, double whammy. How do you, you know, how do you overcome that challenge? Um, so, you know, of course, hormones of ghrelin and uh, leptin missing, messing around with hunger satisfaction cues. Oh my goodness. Now we can see why more than 60% of people will regain the weight they lost or increase their weight beyond the point they were before they started dieting. So um, that's, you know, that in itself should be enough evidence to say, well, diets don't work. So in the case that the evidence and the science says diets don't work, because how many people rebound the exact same weight or more, Mm. they rarely release that set point with strict caloric dietary restrictions then why the hell are we still doing diets? Why is the diet, you know, why is the diet um, industry still exponentially exploding with products and the systems? And look, we'll, we'll jump up and say, hey, you're probably thinking, but hang on, you girls run the 28-day hormone reset. What's that all about? You talk about diet. Yes, we do. But we're also teaching the tools and methods involved in this intuitive eating concept. But first, you've got to remove the negative effect of diet before you can rebuild and rebuild into a positive effect. So yeah, I guess to some degree there is a diet element, but it's not a long-term chronic dietary change. It's just simply resetting poor habits and behaviors. And that's the big deal. It's about the habits and behaviors, not so much the foods that you eat and how you eat them. So and we're also, um, Asha, maybe we'll talk about the reset a little bit later, but during that, there's absolutely no, really no risk calories. And I think that that's no, really important. that's it too. And that's um, the whole point. If you restrict calories, then you activate these stress hormones and the stress pathways that protect your body from losing weight in the long term. Exactly. So it's like it does, like you said, has the, this innate protective mechanism that everything is drive towards our highest survival. And that makes sense, right? And as you were talking about the, you know, the insulin, the leptin, the ghrelin, so, you know, our satiation, our hunger hormones. But when we also diet, when we particularly when we do that yo-yoing, it also dramatically affects the hormones that actually impact our gut as well. A set of hormones called incretin hormones, and they're, it's like 24 to 26 different types of these. Um, and, so, and so there might be, we're going to get really nerdy for a second as well, so just bear with me. Um, so them is called glucagon-like peptide 1 or GLP-1, and another one is CCK or cholecystokinin. And these release, then cholecystokinin releases bile, 
but it also releases enzymes from the pancreas that stimulate the digestion of fat and protein. So that then stimulates insulin secretion in response meals. So simply when food is, is on its way, not even before we've put it in our mouth, just from the sight, the smell and the taste of food, these hormones are activated. What they do is they help us to absorb nutrients. They help us to partition them properly into, you know, fat tissue or muscle tissue or, you know, whatever it needs to do. But when we go through these yo-yo dieting, um, you know, processes really restricting calories, these hormones don't work properly. And when, when eating in times of stress as well, so for example, if you're eating at your desk or, you know, you've had a really stressful day, you come home, you know, you don't allow yourself time to kind of slowly get into your rest and digest pathways of your nervous system and you're shoveling food down, none of these hormones are actually able to kick in properly so that you're not actually enhancing any of those hormones and you're not allowing your digestive process to work properly. And so that means that the, these hormones that are signaling in our gastric, our gastrointestinal system that tell us that food is, is coming, that help us to process everything is not working. Now, this is also reported in really well-established medical journals. So, for example, in the New England Medical Journal, they tracked a whole bunch of people who were on a low-calorie diet over time, uh, and they showed that there was a suppression of these hormones 14 months after they'd finished the diet. And they were only on the diet for eight weeks. And the diet was a 1,400-calorie diet, which, you know, even in today's standards, that's that's not even that restrictive. There's some, you know, 500-calorie diets or 800-calorie diets. You know, for some people, they might do the five and two. Um, so for two days a week, they'll do 500 calories, but some people will, you know, stretch that out to a lot longer. But if they did 1,400 calories for eight weeks, 14 months on, they had blockages in weight loss and issues with those uh, like digestive hormones. How crazy is that? Super crazy. And that's that whole, you know, mechanism behind slowing your metabolism down because exactly. if you are restricting calories, any calories you eat are used more efficiently by the body. So what this essentially leads to, one, it's harder to lose weight because your your system's working more efficiently. So even with the calorie restriction, it's all relative. You know, the engine's still, still clocking over and burning fuel, but not, you know, at the high rate it was before. So you've slowed your metabolism um, and it's also easier to gain weight back. And that's the problem because primarily, remember, mechanism of survival, what are you going to gain back? Are you going to gain back muscle mass? Or are you more likely <laughs> to gain back fat? And the answer is fat. You know, you're primarily storing as fat because that is your fuel burner in case you go through another, you know, survival stress response. Um, so this is the frustration. You know, you lose weight and then you gain back fat. Um, and that is, well, I'm assuming for most of us, that's the absolute opposite of the whole point and intention of going on a diet in the first place. Um, and, you know, and look, there's a lot of other things as well. And you mentioned, you touched on that idea of, you know, at times of stress. Um, at stress as well, we already know we have a tendency towards emotional overeating. So yes. Yes. what that eating does at that point in time as well, it changes the cortisol response, so your stress hormone handling. So you literally do feel better temporarily. So then guess what that teaches the brain to do? It seeks food as a basically a karma when you're feeling anxious or stressed and you're setting up a reward system in the brain, which is going to be something you do 
as a behavior and habit thereafter. So <laughs> the fixating on food, the fixating on calories, the fixating on which foods, good foods, bad foods that they're in is actually a form of stress. And interestingly, most people tend to binge eat. Uh, they tend to go on cycles where they'll go, no, 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 no. And they're mentally willpower overriding all of their signals coming from their body. And then they cave to those and suddenly have a big Ben and Jerry's binge session on the couch feel immensely guilty for it, beat themselves up for the next two days by then doing super, super calorie restricted eating or not eating at all. I've had people have gone, oh my God, I ate all my calories like five days worth in one day. I'm just like not eating for the next few days. And I'm like, you can't do that. Your body is yeah. going to start to How do exactly. dangerous is yeah. that? And so, but that's because of the, the mindset around it, because we're being told if you break break the diet, you're wrong, you're failing, you're bad, you haven't done it well. Um, and, you know, I sort of say to ladies, it's something that's so important. It's it's this whole idea behind, you know, we'll move into this concept of intuitive eating because it's basically trying to teach you to listen to your own internal cues, to stop beating yourself up about food and which foods you're eating and when you're eating and how you're eating and starting to listen and learn to love your body in a way that allows you to go, what do I need right now? What does my body feel like? And people are going to laugh listening because they're probably going to go, yeah, but I feel like a Big Mac or, but I'm feeling like a block of chocolate. And like, whoa, you know, that's because you're still in a state of, you know, yeah, those are the <laughs> that's still a state of relative hormone chaos and intuitively eating leaves room for that. And I know people will say, yeah, but that's bad. They're bad foods. Compared to what and when? Now, they're bad foods, surely, if you eat them every single day for every single meal. But if you really listen to yourself, I'm sure you know well enough that doesn't serve you. You don't feel well and your body won't keep seeking it. It'll have had enough. I mean, anyone who's ever worked in a fast food joint or uh, worked around food will probably tell you that they worked with a particular product or particular food for long enough. They absolutely would never touch it again. Yes. Isn't that fascinating? And I found that too, when I went to, you know, on a, on a trip, a surfing trip with a team and we cruised around New Zealand and pretty much for the duration of two weeks, predominantly male team, every stop was McDonald's. I literally got home and this is, and I can remember exactly when, why, because it was middle 2000. And I said, I will never, ever eat McDonald's, Homer Jacks or anything along those lines again ever and I have never ever touched it um because yeah, good job. It made maybe me, I should go and work in a factory then but it just made me feel so bad that's that concept yeah. of intuitive eating did doing that kind of food really make you feel good did it make you feel energized did it make you feel healthy did it make you feel happy um and usually most people will honestly be able to say no so Andy, do you, do you ever teach intuitive eating? I mean, I don't teach it as much because most people are coming in with, you know, I guess critical points of change required. So very specific plan of action needs to be created um, in order to heal first because you, you can't just yes. go into intuitive eating unless you've healed the underlying, you know, physiological problem first. Like you've got to go through healing. Um, yes. So there's certain building blocks you need to put in place. But once you've achieved that healing space, I believe there's massive room for this concept of intuitive eating to come in. Yeah, I agree, Ash. And I think that, that when we see people, a lot of it is, um, you know, there's been some processes going on. Maybe there's even some disease processes happening. So a lot of the time it's, right, we've got to get through a whole bunch of this stuff, get your system to match them properly before your body can even signal to you properly the types of things that it needs. Mm -hmm. um, but I do love this concept of intuitive eating. And I also like this idea of 
kind of interpreting some of these cravings as well. So for example, before you're getting your period, are you craving chocolate, for example? Right. So that's your body asking for magnesium. It doesn't know how to ask for magnesium. So it's asking for the, you know, the next best thing that is rich in magnesium. Um, but, you know, there's also a few other signaling, you know, that can happen there as well. So understanding, right, if this is what you're cra- craving, what is that telling you? Um, if you're craving hot chips, okay, maybe you're needing some more some more good fats and some minerals or, you know, it's, it swings along those lines. But I do, um, I do love this notion that women, once they start to get very clear and they can start to really interpret and listen to their system, that they'd be at the supermarket or the farmer's markets and just think, okay, for this week, I'm actually really not feeling animal protein. So I'm just going to have a week of animal protein. I'm going to have more cooked vegetables and raw just because that's what I'm intuitively really feeling for my system at the moment. The weather is getting cooler. So I'm wanting more, you know, like uh, slow cooked, more heat eating type foods Um, and I think that there's so much brilliance in that and listening to your body when it's asking for those sorts of things Um, Ash what what guidance do you give your women look I think it's fascinating because you mentioned that intuitive eating seasonally as well how true is that like in summer how much you know how often do you find you just crave like a big fresh salad with lots of juicy tomatoes and cucumbers and things that are really like cooling and and energizing and yet in winter if someone put a big fresh salad um you kind of just don't feel as like enticed by it which i think is so fascinating and that's that perfect example of you know what does your body really need if you're honoring it then you know you'll be more attracted to certain foods um i think it's first and foremost you know honor the hunger so this yeah. is one of those principles of intuitive eating, and we'll quickly run through them. There's 10 principles that were founded by the founders of the intuitive eating movement, um, and these are principles based upon it because there's obviously other pathways as well. There's something called mindful eating. They're similar but not the same. So first they ask you to reject the diet, you know, just reject the concept mm-hmm. of a diet and what diets do for people because the research says it doesn't work. So, you know, like if dieting is – a problem according to the research, then why are we still doing it? You know, how can a diet then be part of the solution? So they suggest reject the diet mentality and then start to work on ourselves, you know, work on ourselves and why we've got this um, disconnection with food and what food is actually doing for us. So, you know, making peace with foods is big part of that. That's like listening to your body and saying, hey, why am I calling a certain food good or bad? You know, what does that mean to me? Because some people can look at foods like chocolate and say, that's bad, really bad, I'm not going to have that. But then you look at, you know, a beautiful raw food chocolate bar that's been made out of cacao and cocoa butter and all these things. And you go, is it really that bad for you? Intuitively, is it something you feel like? Are you craving those good fats, you know, that are really good for your body right now? Um, so that's a big one is just being comfortable with saying, okay, let's ditch these tags of good and bad. Um, mm-hmm. Because if you really think about it, you know, a big bag of twisties laden with MSG and colorings and stuff, whilst they may sound nice, if you're sitting in a place of peace, you're saying, I love my body. My body is an amazing, you know, system that's working for me to allow me to, you know, move through this planet with grace, harmony and incredible potential. Eating that bag of twisties doesn't feel as good. Yeah, and intuitively, totally. you know, it doesn't serve your purpose of being wonderful and amazing and loving your body. Um, so, you know, if you can start to use affirmations before eating, I think that's a big one. You know, giving thanks to food for me is something we do at every meal anyway. 
even though we don't verbalize it, often it's mostly just for me, it's just mental because, you know, not everyone wants to hear giving thanks to food because sometimes it feels a bit like you're sitting there, you know, around a, a table of prayer givers, which sure. is totally cool. And I honor the why of why people do that. But, you know, often I, I sit in a mixed group of people, which means that um, not everyone's got the same values, belief structures that I do. But my mental thing is just quickly, you know, thanks for the food. Thanks for the farmers. Thanks for, you know, the universe giving life to this food so that I can eat and enjoy it. Um, and it really, you know, gives you that gratitude before eating, which really helps you, one, slow down your eating. You tend not to stuff your face and, and empty the plate as quickly as possible when you're grateful for that food. You want to sort of slow down and enjoy mm. it. Um, and, you know, and two, when you are faced with food that's not maybe what you really want, you know, it's maybe being served to you and it's not entirely the, the meal you'd normally prepare for yourself, you're still giving thanks to the process, the people who prepared it with love, you know, the food that's there. And it's amazing how even foods that would be maybe tagged as bad can still feel, you know, you can still feel grateful for it, that it's been served and not yes. kick yourself up after it and feel guilty and horrible and bad that you just had something really bad for it, you know? And it's, I think that's a massive, massive shift. If you take nothing from this episode, learning to make peace with food, loving food, being grateful mm -hmm. for everything that goes into the creation, that food can be a, a shift in and of itself. That can be sometimes the, the breaker of the, the chronic behavioral problem that goes with food and dieting. Absolutely. And I think that this is a lot of what uh, the incredible Dr. Bruce Lipton was talking about. Yeah. If you want to tune into that, and I really encourage women to listen to your body. Um, my girlfriend's Tara will, uh, if there's something that she thinks that she wants to put it up against her um, solar plexus or kind of just tune into her system and see if this is something she wants. And she like moves forward, then that's almost like a yes. Error. But if her body moves backwards, um, then she's like, no, this is not for me. And she's become so good and refined at doing this that she just trusts it and it hasn't let her down and I think that that's just really awesome yeah. I also know you know if you're at the supermarket and you start salivating over a pineapple then that's probably a good thing yeah yeah well it's so hard isn't it and this is this classic you know we're living in a world where the paradox of you know diet is synonymous with being healthy because you look at all the blogging and the wellness sites and the instagram pages and the photos and you know diet is synonymous with looking amazing and i think that's a really big challenge to overcome because like you said salivating over pineapple um as we'd say good and bad that sounds really good but then other people will salivate over you know a bucket of kfc and you're just like whoa okay oh, maybe we need to help in my life eating KFC. Oh, well done. <laughs> I think anyway. kids, as kids I, might, I would definitely have had it, but uh, it's not something I choose now. But isn't it interesting that um, this is, again, to do with the chemical uh, imbalances in the brain and nervous system, you know, the chemistry of the body. When you're in a state of disease or dysfunction, unfortunately, like we said earlier, the chemical chemically driven pathways of signaling aren't working the way they should. So it does sometimes take a reboot and reset first before you can actually tune in. So ladies, don't be afraid to, to dive into a program with utilizing the principles of intuitive eating alongside the rebalance or the, you know, the reprogramming sort of dietary changes to help overcome any form of actual physical addictions to food. Um, because we know there's certain food additives that are literally addictive. It's why we crave them, uh, particularly sweeteners and flavor enhancers. They really drive, you know, chemical parts of our brain to crave those particular foods. So you've got to eliminate them first before we can actually calm that brain down and rebuild the pathway saying, okay, well, you know, used to be that, um, let's just say a bucket of ice cream tasted amazing. But now that I'm starting to make uh, my own homemade banana smoothie ice cream, it's so super sweet 
and yet compared to the tub of ice cream, you know, commercially manufactured, it doesn't taste that sweet at all. You know, and that's that whole point of resetting the brain's set points in terms of, you know, satiating foods. Um, so I find that really interesting that, yeah, it does require some degree of elimination or, or removing foods that are tricking the brain into thinking it's either full or it needs more sweet or it needs more salt. You have to remove that stuff first. So, yeah, I, I love, you know, a reset first and then, you know, an intuitive principle thereafter. And I think that that is a perfect little to our next 28-day um, hormone reset. So, ladies, we're launching that again on the 17th of November. So, it's our final one for the year. It's a sprint home to an amazing um, year. So, if you don't feel like you've achieved maybe your hormone, your health, or your food goals this year yet, then this could be a great opportunity for you to jump on board. And this is also what really helps women to you know, have a little bit of an internal clean out of their system to allow them to then be more intuitive with their bodies and with their system on the things that they're choosing to eat. One of the biggest feedback that we get from the women who've been through the reset with us is that they no longer have those cravings for things that don't serve them anymore, which I just think is amazing. It's definitely not a weight loss program. However, one of the very happy um, side effects of really cleaning up system is a lot of that loss of inflammation and a lot of women do shift weight on it too. Um, ladies, we'd love to have you on board and uh, do that. We're going to give you a little promo code. So the reset is 125, but if you use the code is it reset 2020 ash 28 reset reset 28 reset 28 <laughs> thank you reset yep. 28 um that brings it down to 97 uh instead of 125 um so ladies don't hesitate to jump on board there'll be a link link this episode that you can go in there and um and join us for that and remember you have full access to us uh for the four weeks um, it's all completely online it's nutritionally lifestyle based um we're going to set you up with really amazing principles for life after this and plus you will have lifetime access to the material as well um ladies we would love to to hear what your uh experience has been with yo-yo dieting um i would really love to know has this actually worked for anybody has anyone actually done some sort of fad diet and it has, has because i have not met anyone so far so if you have then I would love to hear from you if you've actually had benefits from, you know, some type of, of diet because I have actually, you know, never met anyone who's really benefited from that yet. Um, ladies, we would love to hear from you. Remember, you can communicate with us on our social media. So facebook.com forward forward slash wellness women. We're on Instagram as well. So at the wellness women official. For more information on the 28-day hormone reset, go to thewellnesswomen.com.au forward slash reset. Ladies, until next week, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.